0: Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, the podcast where we delve into the world of CMS systems and their crucial role in website and web content development. In each episode, we'll explore the reasons why founders, CEOs, CTOs and CMOs of web content development companies need CMS systems to thrive in the digital landscape. Get ready to uncover the secrets behind successful website management, content creation and seamless user experiences. Here's your host, Jonathan Ames.
1: Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, a podcast by ButterCMS. Here we share insights on the intersection of content and web development and how we can align these two often competing forces to improve efficiency and business results. Joining us in this episode, we have Petrit, and he is the head of SEO at Tatica in Kosovo, and he's also a lecturer on the subject, and he's going to be talking to us a little bit about multilingual SEO, and this is a great one. Really excited to have you on, Patre And first, just give us a quick background on your career, some of the projects you've worked on.
2: Hi there, Jonathan and everyone else. I'm really glad to be part of this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So as you introduced me, I spearhead the SEO strategy at Tactica here in Kosovo. We're a digital marketing agency. We work mostly with US clients and Europe clients, Western Europe clients, but also have some local clients, big players in the industry. I started doing SEO when the COVID pandemic hit. I did some previous work as a freelance writer for a local company doing content writing myself, and I got introduced to WordPress and to Yoast. I was always a tech guy, so I spent my entire life gaming and just browsing the Internet, so I was pretty familiar with the tech side of the Internet, but I was never really aware of why certain pages just show up when you look for stuff on Google, and I. It just never came to my mind that maybe there's someone doing work or magic behind the results. So when I started the content writing gig as a freelance writer and contributor, my manager at the time told me to take care of that one little thing you see in WordPress, which is just a red or a yellow or a green flag from Yoast SEO, the most famous plugin. Yeah. And he told me to just keep an eye on that. And then I was like, well, what is this? So I Open it up. I read more and then I realized that there's SEO is a profession. Like people learn this. They do this on a daily basis and they basically manage who shows up in the top results. Well, not directly manage, but they increase the chances of someone showing up in the top positions. And that got me interested. And then I made the switch since I had quite an extensive background on the technology side. I switched from the creative side, the content writing side, to the more technical on-page optimization, the technical SEO and everything else. So that got me started. I got really passionate about it, doing courses online at the time, volunteering for work, helping any relatives that had any websites or businesses, doing local SEO for them, just helping them with their GMBs, anything I could get my hands on until I landed my first SEO job. UK company. It was a UK company, but they just had opened the branch office here in Kosovo and Pristina. And I'm really massively thankful to the owner that placed that faith in me as a junior sales specialist, because that really helped me gain my first steps in the industry and learn a lot. So that's how I got started, basically.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting story. And it seems that all the SEO specialists I've talked to, all of them started out just kind of playing around with SEO and those questions of, why is this page ranking versus that page because obviously there's not i mean there may be a few now but there's very few universities a few years back that had any kind of degree around search engine optimization it simply wasn't something that existed so if you are an seo specialist or you work with seo you've had to learn it on your own so it's a very common thing i've seen well talk to us a little bit about multilingual i mean in today's age i think most companies that are online want to reach a larger audience and part of reaching a larger audience means being multilingual. Here in the United States, we're a little spoiled because English is a very commonly used language, but especially in Europe, there are dozens of very common languages that are used. And so it's very hard to only use your own language that you grew up with and expect to be able to grow very far. So talk to us strategically about why multilingual SEO is important.
2: Well, as you said it yourself, When I joined Tactica, we were mostly working with US-based clients. So multilingual issues were not really part of our daily activities because most of the websites were just in English. There were no other languages involved. But then we started onboarding big clients in Western Europe. And then we were faced with this big issue of adapting their content to multiple countries that they service. And the plethora of all the dialects within the same language and trying to localize for all the different regions, because, you know, like France or Germany or other big countries that have a lot of many countries within them, they have a lot of dialects and a lot of differences when it comes to the language. So that's when we were first faced with this issue. And honestly, to be fair, I did not have a lot of hands on experience. Like when you do a lot of training for SEO and you optimize the website for SEO, You do the hreflangs and all the other HTML attributes, but you're never really fully aware of how that impacts the performance of the website. It's only when you deal with a website that has five languages incorporated in them. And when you do the technical side properly for each version, and then you see the results a few months in that you realize that some small changes, tweaks you made when they were launching the new language versions or the new landing pages and then you realize how much impact you had on the entire process, on the entire organic traffic that you were bringing in for your clients. And then one interesting thing happened is that for a long time, we were working with US-based clients, but no multilinguage issues. We onboarded the Europe clients, and then we get the multilingual issues with SEO and performance and all the content issues. And then we started onboarding some US clients that needed multilingual websites, basically unboarded some clients in Miami, some law firms that need multilingual they need Spanish, Portuguese, because they're really close to the Southern American countries. So a lot of other languages, but then they for I guess image, they also decided to put in French and German. So they had like five languages. So the main issue with having a lot of languages on the website is not just the content, just pushing it out there, but making sure that Google understands that First of all, you're not copying the content from someone else. And secondly, the content that you have pushed out matches the user intent. You hear this all over the Internet, any SEO podcast you listen to, any LinkedIn post, any article on the Internet, they will talk about user intent. And it becomes really apparent when you do translation for websites, because we started using AI translation tools just to test out the capabilities. ChatGPT was a new thing, a lot more AI tools were being going live each and every day. So we started using some AI tools just to see how far they can take it and then realized basically the limits, what they can do and what they cannot do. And then we started coming up with strategies on how to offset disadvantages that the AI tools had, how to find the perfect mix of human translation versus automatic translation with AI or that sort of stuff. It was quite a challenging journey to go through, it took a lot of hours, late hours, weekend hours, and just normal working hours to figure out what's the best approach. And it took a lot of meetings, just like this one, with all the team members and the company management on making really crucial decisions. Sometimes they seem small, but they impacted the results of our clients. But now, from the decisions we made in months ago, now they're generating like 100,000 traffic or more. Their sales are just keeping going up in all the markets that they operate in, basically.
1: Excellent. I know one of the main reasons that I first got into multilingual SEO is because in other languages, the competition was lower for certain keywords. So say you were searching for a keyword that was very common in high traffic in the U.S., might have a little bit lower traffic, say in Spanish, but the competition level for that keyword in Spanish would be much, much lower. Is that the case today where other languages outside of English have lower competition levels for keywords? Is that a kind of a driving factor?
2: Yeah, glad you pointed that out. It still remains a very big factor. When you look at the keywords in English and then you look at their other language synonyms or literal translations, Competition is really low, so it will take you a year to, say, rank for a specific keyword in English in that global market. When you went to Spanish or French or any of the other popular languages or most spoken languages in the world, it will only take you two or three months with some really good optimization and translation on a professional level. So, yes, that seems to be the case as a fact that it has been carried over for a lot of years now.
1: Yeah. And it won't always stay that way. So eventually all these other languages, other competitors will catch up and there will be those competitive levels. So now is a great time to jump into that. If you are interested in trying to do SEO in other languages, you can be one of those first companies that really is taking up those competitive top spots and then make it harder for your competitors to follow. So what are the challenges that you face when you're translating these websites for different markets? or localizing, because it's not just a language, it may be the same language, but a different localization, depending on say two parts of the country or two different countries that speak the same language, but have different variations.
2: Well, as I previously mentioned, one of the biggest issues is just matching the queries, the content that we put out on the website with the user intent. And always the first issue that we have is the research process. Let's say we are based in Kosovo or a certain country, It has a geographical limit on how much we understand the culture and the language process or the way people think in other countries. So we have to do a lot of extensive research into that market, try to gauge their interest on searching for something online, checking the search volume, checking the different variations they use when they look for something. And finally, we have always a need to consult with a professional translator that will also translate the content, but we need to go through some sessions where we just, in general, talk on how people think. We try to find translator that is as native as possible to the target language that will understand the way people think in a certain region within a country, not just a country, but maybe in a specific region if the client is that specific. So the first thing is doing that, basically understanding the audience the way they think. Because let's just say, for example, we translate the content in German for a Swiss client, not the German client. And the content is there. It's perfectly translated. We use the Swiss translator. The client is happy with the translation because he's a Swiss national. So he likes the translation. It's uh, local to him. And then we push that out to Google. A few months in, the content is not performing that well. And then we do an analysis on what's happening. And then we consult a few other translators and a few other SEO consultants on why that might be happening. And then we come to the conclusion that even though Switzerland speaks German and they have their own dialect, when they go online, they don't search using their local dialect, they use something called high German, which is basically the standard version of German. So the way to get around that is basically to optimize the website for high German, but using other technical elements that would indicate it's for Switzerland using the region markers. Yeah. Really good
1: point, the various dialects that are out there and some of those things you simply wouldn't know, like you said, until you do the research and talk to people in those areas and find those things out. Yeah. Very good point. So as far as switching over to tactical, let's say someone is interested in this, they hear what you're saying. They're like, yes, we'd love to localize our website to a couple of different languages. What are the first steps that somebody who's interested in doing that should take before embarking on this process?
2: Well, the first most simple step would be to just find out whether that's worth it for them as a business, because some of them have a good idea that they want to translate the website, but it doesn't translate into traffic or a business for that website. Because obviously, the entire point of why we do marketing and SEO in sp- specifically is Because we want to increase the revenue, or we want to grow these websites and businesses into something larger. So the first thing is always to consider whether that makes sense for the business to translate into a local language, whether they will have enough revenue coming in from that market in order to justify all the investment they make in the translation, in hours that we build to them when it comes to optimizing the website, and everything else related. So the first thing would be the business decision, whether it makes sense. The second thing would be whether they would get away with using an automated translation or they would need to hire a professional translator. Professional translators will cost a lot. And depending on what sort of industry you're in, on how it is, depending on the keyword difficulty you have, sometimes you can get away with AI-generated translations. And that's fine because maybe you're targeting a market and your niche is really something specific and easy to rank for. So you don't need to make the entire investment of hiring a professional translator. So those would be the main things. And the third thing would always be choosing the right people that you trust the optimization in. And if you are a company that is trying to do the optimization, make sure that you have people or let's say you're an SEO consultant. Make sure that you understand that different areas or markets will think differently. And the way they approach Google or any other search engine might differ from one another. Try to get under the skin of a local guy out of Geneva or Zurich or any other market, let's say in Switzerland, and try to understand how they might search on the Internet. What's their intent? Are they looking just for information are they looking to buy something? Is that a deal breaker? Do they make decisions online? There are a lot of things to consider when doing a localization for specific markets.
1: That's great. So think about the business case. Make sure that there's a business case that's viable for translating to that market. Then look at the, if you need an AI or a professional translation for doing that, depending on the competition. And then finally, look at how you're going to translate it. The third point was translating it to SEO, correct?
2: Yeah. Basically, the translation that a translator will give you is not the one that you want for SEO sometimes. Just sometimes.
1: So do you have to have a SEO specialist who's fluent in that language to optimize the translation?
2: Well, any good SEO specialist will have a natural feeling, like a sort of a muscle memory built in within them that will remind them on how things might go. So most of the good SEO specialists that I talk to on a day-to-day basis, even if they are not fluent or they don't speak a certain language, they are really aware. They rarely make mistakes or they rarely fail at localizing a website for a specific language. And with enough research, most of the people in the industry become good enough at a language or thinking as a person coming from that market by just doing research, by just spending endless hours on the internet, figuring it all out. So not necessarily. Most of my team members don't speak German, let's say, but we are able to optimize for the entire DACH region. So Austria, Switzerland, and Germany, we optimize and we get quite good results from all the optimization we make. So not necessary.
1: Very good. What are some of the common mistakes you see out there in multilingual websites?
2: Well, the. First level of mistakes is always the technical one. The most common one is just not using the hreflang attributes in the HTML of the pages. That's always the biggest issue. The second one that I've seen happen quite a lot recently, actually, I don't know why, but a lot of the websites that I've come across lately have these sort of dynamic translation built in on their website. So you go to the language selector, you switch to a different language, The content changes dynamically, but the page doesn't reload. And the client then wonders why their Spanish version or their French version is not doing anything. Their impressions in Search Console and their clicks drop to, let's say, minimum, or they're completely dropping out of index. And then they come to us and they ask for analysis. The analysis is pretty simple. The language implementation you have on the website is not the best one for Google. Because when Google clicks on one of the buttons for the languages, or clicks a link, and the content changes dynamically, but the page doesn't reload. Google is not really able to distinguish that it's an entirely new page, and then it's not able to crawl and index that content that you have in Spanish. You might have really good content in Spanish and in English, but your default language on the website is English, and Google comes to your website, crawls the English version, selects the other language, but it doesn't reload, so I think it's just empty or something, and we'll just uh, get on with it. We'll go to another thing. So that's what is happening lately. I've seen quite a few sites on the past months. I don't know why. I haven't seen it in the past two years. Never seen a case like that in the past few months. A few cases, so it's starting to get worrisome. I don't know whether it's a business decision. Most of these plugins that do these dynamic translations seem to be automated or AI translators. I can understand the business decision to not invest in translating the website. And I guess in their eyes, it looks neater, like it's tidied up. Not a lot of issues with pages and dating the sitemaps and everything else. But when it comes to ranking, it always penalizes them. Yeah, really, really
1: good point. You have to have a separate page for each translation if you hope to get any kind of SEO value out of those pages and that content. I think that Part of that, like you said, is an operational issue where people are just, they're looking for an easy way to quickly make these changes. But there actually are a lot of systems out there that don't make it very hard to go from your base language and still have a separate page for every translation. You could still even use AI to help with that translation, but that will generate a separate page that could be ranked separately. Yeah, so really good point.
2: There are plugins that they create the pages automatically when it comes to other languages. So I don't know why you would use a dynamic translator within the same page. That's the most confusing part.
1: Yes. No, it makes sense. So here's kind of a top level tactical question. I don't know if you see this often, but is it better to have a separate domain for each of your languages or is it good to keep it all on one domain and maybe subdomain it or something like that?
2: I don't have a clear cut answer to that question. We get a lot of questions, or personally, I get a lot of questions when it comes to subdomains, like a lot of huge websites that they have implementations like, let's say, em.something.com, the English version, and then FR for French and all the other languages. That's fine. It all comes down to the business decision, whether you are fine with not using the authority of the English version, the international version that you have in terms of ranking. The main point why we suggest to our clients And why in the industry, subdomains are not the most preferred choice is because you will not benefit from the authority that your main domain has. And if you're fine with starting over or starting from scratch with zero authority, then sure, you can do subdomains for each language that you have if you have the patience and the budget to invest in SEO for quite a lot of months and years. But if you're not that, let's say, willing, to wait a long period of time for results, then choosing separate domains or subdomains within the same domain will not get you a lot of results in the short time period that you're targeting. So the short answer is depends. What's your budget? What's your business decision? What's your manpower? Do You have the manpower to, let's say, you're that big of a company that you can afford to have a team for the French, subdomain, a team for the German subdomain. It all comes down to a lot of uh, small factors within the company that will impact that. So a great description
1: of that. So subdomains, good in some instances, you won't get the benefit of your original domain. Maybe if you're starting up from scratch, you don't have any authority to begin with, it might be a good way of doing it. But otherwise, you'd say, better to keep it within folders within your main domain, correct?
2: Yeah, just directories within the same, domain that you've used from day one.
1: Excellent. Well, tell us some other tactics that you think might be useful that someone who's interested in upping their multilingual SEO game might try putting into place.
2: A lot of languages have intricacies. So if you're trying to up your game on the industry, the first thing would be just to try new things. If you use a professional translator, you did not get a lot of results. Switch away from that try to do the optimization yourself without using the help of a professional translator telling you. Because the thing that happens mostly, and especially with tools, is that they try to preserve the syntax, the sentence structure that's in the original language, let's say in English. But when that carries over to French or German or any other language, that will not make a lot of sense. That will not be how people look for things on the internet in that local market. So try to avoid that. Try to understand the meaning behind the sentence or the query or the question. And then give the solution in your own words, in your local language, if you are fluent enough. If you're not, you can always ask the translator or use any of the tools. Any of the tools, just translating the words themselves, they're fine. Like Google Translate has the translation for the word from English to French. But when you put that into the context or the syntax of a sentence, that's when it gets messed up. That's why you get uh, really weird and bad results when you use it to translate entire paragraphs, even though it's gotten better in the past few years and months. So the one advice I would give is just experiment with that. Even if you have used professional translation, that will not guarantee your performance on search results. Try to do some pages on your own. Select some pages. That are not bringing the highest value for your company or for your client, and then do some A B testing on those. Create different versions of those pages and see which one ranks better. But you will always need to be patient. As we mentioned earlier, in these other languages, the competition is not that high, and it doesn't take a lot of time to really rank or see the results of your work. So it will not take a lot of time for you to see the data and come to a conclusion whether doing that is better than using a professional translator or vice versa. Good points. So
1: for someone maybe looking to try something different and they want to either find a new translator or maybe try an AI translation, do you have any tips around how to choose a good translator or how to evaluate one AI version of translation versus another?
2: I do have a tip. Try to find a translator that has some sort of experience in content writing. Not because translators are, in a way, content writers. They write the content in a different language for you, basically. But try to find someone that likes content writing in general because they will understand the creative side. And try to find someone that has heard of SEO, at least. Try to educate them. If you can find someone good and they are really known in the industry or in their specific language, work it out with them. See if they're interested in learning more about the purpose of SEO, why you're doing this, because you can just send a copy to a professional translation agency or a company or a freelance translator, and you will get the version back. But the people doing the translation will not really understand why you're doing it. And if they don't understand, then they will just stick to a more official translation and they will do a good job, a really great job, basically. But what I always tell my team members when we talk about this issue is that it looks good, but it doesn't work because the translation looks good when you look at it. The client will be happy. He will really like the translation because it will be in a standard formal version. But when you put it out there, it will not work. So see if you can find someone that understands the value of marketing, understands that the copy that you will produce in the translated language also needs to Answer the queries in the most simplistic terms so that we'll understand that it's an answer, it solves an issue that someone might have, and it deserves to be in the top positions. Great advice on translators.
1: I always like to ask my guests some personal career questions. If you could go back in a time machine and talk to yourself when you're just getting out of college, what advice would you give yourself, things that you've learned in your career so far?
2: Well, the first thing I would tell myself is to not try to find a full-time position from day one. I would tell myself to go and knock into the doors of all the marketing agencies and ask them if I can pay them to be part of them and just learn SEO from them. Because nowadays, it's really hard, especially with uh, new generations. It's really hard to get by with people that understand the value and have the patience to stick around until they fully understand and develop the capabilities to be a good SEO specialist. And I would tell myself to just not ask for pay. Actually, I'd pay the company to just be part of them so that I can understand. Three months or six months is nothing compared to the value you get out of an internship. When I was just being done with college, I would have really used an internship because I kind of made a big leap doing just trainings and going into a full time position. Kind of a big leap of faith that costed me a lot of overtime hours and stressful nights trying to figure out everything behind the working hours so that I can make up and justify the trust put on by my senior or the management of the company at the time. So yeah, first advice would be that. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with the industry. The companies are not trying to make use of you or I don't know how to put it. But yeah, you have to put in the work. A lot of people just quit quite easily. They start a month in or two months in, they don't see any big results or they don't get the fulfillment that they thought they would get from day one. And then you see them dropping out and it's really sad. So I would tell myself to, I didn't give up, but I would also tell the others to just stick with it. It will pay off as long as you put the value and the work in.
1: Very good advice. When you're looking for inspiration or to develop your skill set today, you know, are there any books or podcasts or conferences that you found really has helped you to continue to develop?
2: I've been looking at courses this entire career. And what I've found really helpful is the case studies I see on LinkedIn mostly recently, especially like on holistic SEO. There's this guy, Corey Tugberg, I think he's from Turkey or somewhere. He posts something really impressive from time to time, and I really can't wait when he's going to publish the next one. What I found really helpful was the CXL Academy, because I'm also interested in other fields of digital marketing, not just SEO. So I'm also interested in Google Ads and social media management, that sort of stuff. So I've been really looking at their courses and find them really helpful in developing my skills. But also on the other end, I'm also using tools like LinkedIn Premium or local companies here that provide trainings in order to develop my skills into the technical side more, like programming. Not just basic HTML and JavaScript stuff, but something more advanced. And last thing I also like to develop is uh, learning more about data visualization. Because we sometimes have a lot of success stories, but we just can't put it in the best way out possible. So it doesn't look like much. And if you don't know how to showcase your work, then you lose a lot of interest from your potential clients.
1: Yeah. Well, if people want to get a hold of you or, or get in contact with you, how could they reach you? How could they find you?
2: Well, the straightforward answer is my LinkedIn profile. And they can always reach me via LinkedIn or my email, which is petrethanitai at gmail.com. I don't know if anyone got that. I'll probably be in the description. But yeah, LinkedIn is always the best way to. Get in touch. Even if you have any small questions, anything you might think is not big of a deal, i love to get in touch with people on LinkedIn just talk about the industry in general, day to day.
1: Absolutely. That's great.
2: Tell me a little bit
1: about Tactica, where you work. What is your special sauce? What is the thing that makes Tactica different, say, from other companies out there in digital marketing? And what are the kind of clients that you do best for?
2: Well, I joined Tactica a year and a half, almost, because before tech I used to do remote work, a lot of remote work, like two years in remote working. And then I finally gave up and realized that I needed to switch to an office based environment, so I've been working with them. They're pretty great. There's a lot of room for improvement, a lot of room for progress in your career and your own personal benefits. So I really appreciative of that, the company itself. Has the necessary expertise to deal with a lot of different clients. Like we deal with the medical industry in the US, the contractor, home improvement industries in the US. And then we do have e commerce websites, large e commerce websites that have different languages embedded into their websites, therapy, clinics, mental health, hormonal health, like uh, BHRT and other clinics, education institutions in the US. All sorts of industries. I don't think there's an industry out there that we haven't had experience. Because when I think about it, the way the company started with their first activities, I think they gained the necessary knowledge in order to understand on what makes things rank on Google. So the owners, the founders of the company, I think they have like one of the best grips on what makes a certain page rank. And it's always a pleasure talking to them and learning more about their insights on, let's say, how many links a certain page needs in order to rank for a specific keyword and the way they analyze the data, like the domain authority that we have and the page trust and the competition and why a competitor with zero links is ranking the top three positions, but our client with 100 links is not in the top 10 positions. Even though when you look at the numbers, You think that makes no sense. So, that sort of stuff is, I think, the secret sauce on why the company has been so successful and why it has managed to grow from a two man team basically into a company of 50 and more employees joining every day. And why we have retained clients from the US for more than three years now. Like, we have legacy accounts that are spanning out in three plus years. And that's really the best indicator of the work we do with the value we provide for these clients.
1: Excellent. And so how can people find Tactica or reach out to tactica.com?
2: Actually, the domain would be seotactica.com because tactica.com, I think, was busy at the time because there's this U.S. company called Tactica as well.
1: (laughs) It's getting hard to find company names.
2: (laughs) Yeah, harder by the day. So anyone wanting to get in touch with the company or agency, for any sort of digital marketing needs. I spearhead the SEO department, but we have really capable other departments like the social media team and the Google Ads team and the design team, which provides really good results. They can see the case studies. They can see our work, our portfolio at SEOtactica.com. Tactica at Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of the social media you can think of. Uh, We're present. We're there. Just look for SEO Tactica. Tactica itself doesn't bring up our company information, basically.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much, Patrit, for taking the time today to discuss multilingual SEO, share some career insights, and tell us a little bit about Tactica. Appreciate your time.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me. And I look forward to
0: talking to you soon. Thank you. Cutting Edge Web Content Development is brought to you by ButterCMS. To find out how you can build better with Butter, stop wasting dead time and free your marketers from your legacy CMS, visit buttercms.com. Also, make sure to search for Cutting Edge Web Content Development in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Butter CMS, thank you for listening.